Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy here in Stockbridge, Mass. And we are grateful that you are with us for this most holy time, sacred time of the entire year. And God bless you for joining us, as you saw on the slide, for the most holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout this. Well, not till later on for the vigil tonight, but the Triduum. And this is what we're going to be talking about today, explaining it. What does this whole Holy Week mean? Uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. We're going to hopefully make it all make sense to you. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and all praise for the gift of your Son who has redeemed us by his passion, death, and resurrection, which we celebrate now during the Triduum. And we ask all these graces from this sacrifice that he gave for us through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's awesome that you are with us. Everything culminates in what we are experiencing in the next 10 days from now all the way, actually nine days, all the way from now to Divine Mercy Sunday. And this is so powerful. All right. <clears throat> what people don't realize is, is that we have Lent as a season and we have Easter as a season. But most people think it goes just from Lent right into Easter. Actually, we have a season in between called the Triduum. It's its own liturgical season. This is powerful. It's short, right? It's, it's very, very short. It's a single celebration of only three days, right, that marks the end of Lent and leads us to Easter. Now, it holds a special place in our liturgical year because it marks the culmination of everything of the whole year in proclaiming the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All right, now, triduum is Latin, which refers to any period of three days that gives a preparation or an observance that prepares for a great feast through the liturgy, prayer, fasting. But we think of it mainly in preparation for the greatest feast of Easter. <clears throat> All right. So this is what people, I think, don't always realize. Just as Sunday is the high point of the week, Easter is the high point of the year. And so Lent, here's what I think is, okay, we're going to get you into a little bit what might be confusing, but I think it'll shed some light on you. Lent technically ends with the evening mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday, okay, so two days ago. Now, this begins the Holy Triduum, a liturgical season, as I said, by itself. Now, we usually, though, although Lent ends on Holy Thursday, we keep our Lenten observances all the way through tonight, through the Easter vigil. So our giving up of soda or chocolate, we continue those all the way through the Easter vigil. Now, these penances, why, if Lent ends then, Father, on Holy Thursday, do I continue? And am I a sinning if I don't? Do I need to confess it? No, these Lenten penances or giving things up, for example, are voluntary, all right? They're personal devotions. 
what you have to do is fast and abstain from meat on Good Friday. But anything in addition to that is up to you. It's not sinning if you, if you give up chocolate and then have it after, you know, Holy Thursday. All right, now, but not meat on Fridays. You have to fast and do meat on Fridays. All right, now, <clears throat> that being said, are Sundays part of Lent? A lot of people are confused by this. Sundays are part of Lent, meaning they're within the Lenten season, but they're not part of the 40 days proper known as Lent. If you add the Sundays, you have 46 days of Lent. So let's take a look at our next slide, or our, I should say, first slide. Now, the Triduum, if you look at the first slide, consists of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, including the Easter Vigil. This is how it is sometimes depicted. But let's look at our next slide. This is the Easter Triduum, as the general norms of the church say. Now notice this difference here. Easter Triduum, the general norms teach, begin with the evening mass on the Lord's Supper, right, on Holy Thursday. Then it's Good Friday. Then he has the high point on Easter, the vigil, but it closes on evening prayer of Easter. So you notice there's a difference here. This one is saying, the first slide I showed said it's Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. This slide shows it as Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Why? Because Easter occurs on Saturday night. So either are correct. It might be a little confusing. Now the USCCB throws in their part to this, and they say, Though it's chronologically three days, I'm going to show you a slide in a minute, Thursday night through Sunday night. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So basically three days. They are liturgically one day showing the unity of Christ's Paschal mystery. Now let's look at our next slide. This is how you see it depicted in the churches. So the church shows Many stained glass windows with the washing of the feet, that's Holy Thursday. Christ on the cross, that's Good Friday. And Christ resurrected, which either could be Saturday night or Sunday morning. And you're going to be like, wait a minute, Father, it's Sunday morning. Well, Sunday for the Jews starts on Saturday night. So don't worry, we'll get to this. But the point is the meaning, not so much which day is which, but the meaning. Okay, we're going to get into some good stuff here. Through the liturgy and the sacraments and the symbols of our church, which will unveil all our symbols tonight, will remove the veil for the Easter liturgy vigil, we come to know the main events of the life of Christ. It all culminates right now. Everything Jesus was working towards in healing of the sick or, or you know, working miracles, he did for this. This is what we're leading up to. So I think, you know, those first two versions of the Triduum that I showed you, Holy Thursday, Holy Saturday, uh, Good Friday and Holy Saturdays, and then the other one showed Easter. Here's the one I like. Let's look at this one. If I was to do it, 
This would be my version. There's actually four things on there. <laughs> I think this is the most accurate. The reason why it's not used all the time is it confuses people because there's four things on there, not three. Triduum means three. All right, we have Holy Thursday on the left. We have Good Friday in the red. We have Holy Saturday with a blank circle, meaning the tomb is empty. And then the mass on Easter Vigil or Easter Sunday. This is where I think is the best description of the Triduum. Now, <clears throat> here's the point. These great events all happened at this one time. So we need to celebrate all of them, not just part of the Triduum. Well, I think I'll just celebrate Good Friday. No, Good Friday without Easter Sunday doesn't make any sense. Easter Sunday is only because of Good Friday, so celebrating Easter without Good Friday doesn't make sense. And so these are the things. All of this is basically culminated, if you wanna know what the Triduum is, if you really wanna boil it all down, it's the Last Supper, the trial and the crucifixion, his time in the tomb, and his resurrection from the dead. That's why I showed those four. Uh, Brother Mark, if you could put that back up again. That last slide. So again, his last supper, that's the Holy Thursday. His trial and crucifixion, that's Good Friday. His time in the tomb, that's Holy Saturday. And his resurrection from the dead, that starts tonight on the Easter vigil and his Easter Sunday. You get all that? <laughs> all right. These great events are what our faith is all about. All right, so it is three days. Now people say, well, wait a minute, Father, it's four, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's actually three, Thursday night to Friday night is one, to Saturday night is two, to Sunday night is three. Again, we'll talk about this. So it's three days of contemplation, anticipation. We enter into our own passion by fasting, um, penances, but we hope for eternal life, okay? We hope for eternal life. You know, there's another good way of showing it, and let me show one more slide before we show the video. This is another way to look at the Easter Triduum, and this is, it's the white one, Brother Mark, that has uh, the four symbols, um, if we still have it back up there, yeah. So there on the left is just a symbol now, of what's that, breaking of the bread, that's Easter Thursday, uh, Holy Thursday. Then we have Christ carrying the cross, that's Good Friday. Now notice the two last images. One has the tomb closed, that's the beginning of Holy Saturday, where he's dead in the tomb, but resurrected, I'm sorry, but visiting the um, uh, descent uh, into the dead. And then the last one, the open tomb, which is Easter Sunday. All right, now, all of that hopefully will make more sense when you watch this short video that's just about two, two and a half minutes. So let's take a look at this video that will explain the Triduum.
Okay, so that's a good little clip that will explain it again. We got past that part. Now we get into the good stuff. What does all this mean um, and the power of the grace? Now, the liturgical services that are offered by the church on the tr in the triduum are this. Let's take a look at our next slide. The next slide shows the Mass of the Lord's Supper. That was Holy Thursday night. All right, then we had Good Friday of the Lord's Passion. That was yesterday where we did have communion, veneration of the cross, and reading from scripture, but no mass because there was no consecration. And then last, we have the biggie tonight, the vigil or the mass of the resurrection of the Lord. And that then is Easter. All right, now, our... Big parts of this season is what we're going to go into right now. So let's back up and start from the beginning and walk you through this, okay? So bear with us. It's not that hard. I think you'll enjoy this. Let's begin with our next slide, which is Holy Thursday. Basically, what do we see there? The Last Supper. Now, earlier in Holy Thursday, this was prior to the Mass of the Lord's Supper. We had the Chrism Mass. That's where the bishop blesses all the oils that will be used for anointings and baptisms and confirmations. But the focus is going to be that evening on the Lord's Supper. All right. This is powerful because it commemorates the Eucharist and the priesthood, which were both instituted by Jesus at the Last Supper. If somebody asks you, non-Catholics, we get them all the time, the Eucharist, that's not real. The priesthood, only Jesus is the priest. Yes, Jesus is the high priest, but he instituted the Eucharist and the priesthood at the Last Supper. He instituted these. Now, this event that we call Holy Thursday is in commemoration of the Last Supper. Now, one of the things we call it, and let's look at our next slide, is 
Maundy Thursday. So this is the washing of the feet. What does Monday Thursday mean? It comes from the Latin phrase mandatum novum, which means a new command or a mandate, which comes from God's command to love. You see that written on the slide. So this is a powerful thing of what Jesus said. I command you to love. Now, the priest being in persona Christi, we have in our services, the priest washes the feet. Now, there are people whose feet he washes. Usually they're parishioners, all right? And they are catechumens who will be entering into the church usually tonight on the Easter vigil, all right? So washing of the feet is not required. We did not do it last night. We've always done it before. And it doesn't necessarily have to be men, but that's the tradition because it's the 12 apostles, right? But anyway, the detail is this. Let's look at our next slide. Here we see the washing of the feet is an act of servitude. And it was commonly done by slaves or servants in humility. Here you see the Pope. What's his official title? The servant of the servants of God. And so this is, this is a powerful symbolic gesture. Now, this is what's interesting to me. Let's look at our next slide. Do you know that washing of the feet was done at the ordination of the priests in the Old Testament, the Aaronic priesthood, the priests of Aaron. And that is what was done when they were ordained. So Jesus, by washing the feet of the apostles, has kept that tradition, and he's ordaining these apostles as our first priests. And then they ordain the next priests. Powerful. So there is a connection between all of this. Now, Thursday has now become a day of the Eucharist because this is when Jesus instituted it. That's why many times in the church you'll hear Wednesday is a day of fast, not just Friday, because Wednesday is the day of preparing for the Eucharistic day of Thursday. All right, now, here's what I think is very, very powerful. Um, the whole symbolism here. And the whole symbolism is the sacrificial nature of the Eucharist, which we see in the Old Testament with the Paschal Lamb, the Lamb that was to be sacrificed. Now Jesus is that Lamb, all right? And the Lamb had to be eaten or the sacrifice was invalid. The Lamb had to be eaten or the sacrifice was invalid. Now Jesus is the Lamb that is to be eaten. So that night, Holy Thursday, which is the Last Supper. Holy Mother Church enters into the upper room. All right? And the Lord serves. Now, what's going on? Holy Thursday, after we finished the Mass, we had a procession. And we processed out of the church. This is a distinct movement that symbolizes leaving the upper room where the feast happened to the garden. And so this is where the church places the host in another tabernacle. Ours is on the second floor and it's called a place of repose. And so the blessed sacrament remains in this place of repose. It's like the garden. 
And then people adored until midnight because it was like, keep watch, the Lord said. So we keep watch. Then what happens next? Let's look at our next slide. What happens next is Good Friday. And so here we have the cross with the body of Christ on it. This is Good Friday. Now, what's good about our Lord being whipped and, and beaten and scourged and speared and crowned with thorns? What's good about that? What's good about all the blood that was shed? Our redemption. But how is it good if we don't have mass on this day? Remember, yesterday we didn't have mass. Why? Because we have a liturgy. Yes, we actually had communion, but we didn't consecrate, so we didn't have a mass. Now, why not? Okay, the mass is a representation of the sacrifice. Do you remember, I've always told you that in the mass, we're at Calvary, where there is Christ is sacrificing himself on the cross, paying our debt for sin. The, the wage of sin is death. When you sin or I sin, we deserve to die. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because when we sin, somebody's got to die. Die is the, death is the penalty for sin. Now, Jesus paid that on the cross. So when you are at mass, you are there at the cross as Christ is paying that debt. But guess what? Every other day, 364 days of the year, it's a representation. On Good Friday, it's actually happening. So we don't need to consecrate. We don't need the mass because we have the, the real, we're there at Good Friday. It's there, it's, it's a reality. So that one day of the year, Good Friday, we don't need to consecrate because Christ, we are living the reality. It's incredible. So it's not a representation on that day. So we don't consecrate the sacrament because it actually is happening. It's a fascinating. So in this way, we have the reality of Jesus's passion without celebrating the representation of it. All right. The Good Friday celebration is actually a continuation of Holy Thursday, all right? Now, Good Friday continues this Easter Triduum, as I've been talking about, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a strict day of fasting and penance. Now, traditionally in the church, people think, oh, well, we just fast Friday. So then after last night, they splurged this morning, ate a ton, had a big meal, ate whatever, you know, they wanted. But traditionally, the fast continues all the way through the Easter vigil tonight. It's called the Paschal Fast. So if you really want to fast, it's not a requirement of the church. What's required is that we fasted yesterday, Good Friday. But if you really want to keep a tradition, you'll continue that fast through tonight, through the Easter vigil. That's why after the Easter vigil, when I went to Franciscan University, we'd have a big pizza party afterwards at like one in the morning. It was a big celebration. All right, now, this is what's interesting. Why do we fast on Friday and Saturday? Because the bridegroom has been taken away. Remember, Jesus says, they're not fasting now. The, the Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And they, he said, they don't fast when the bridegroom's with them. But when he's taken away, they will fast. Now Jesus has been taken away. He's been crucified. 
He's been taken away. So we fast. This is why the tabernacle remains empty on Good Friday and the first part of today, Holy Saturday. Because the bridegroom has been taken away from us, but only temporarily. The liturgy of the Lord's passion, which we celebrate on Good Friday, let's stick with Good Friday, had the liturgy of the word we read from the Bible, we venerated the cross, and we did receive Holy Communion, but again, no consecration. Now, hosts were consecrated the night before, so that's what they were, that's what they were, how we got consecrated hosts. Now, on Good, on good Friday, the readings talk about the suffering Messiah who defeated Satan's last tool, death. Satan's greatest tool is death, and Christ just defeated it because he's going to die and then resurrect. And so in venerating the cross, we acknowledge the instrument of Christ's death and we publicly demonstrate our willingness to take up that cross to be his follower. Remember Jesus said, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. This is what we're doing when we venerate the cross. Now, Good Friday celebrations of the Lord's Passion are usually at 3 p.m. That's when we did ours last night. They could be later if they needed, but usually around 3. And it can only be done by a priest, not a deacon. Um, then later we had Tenebrae last night at 8, which stands for the Latin word darkness, which is a very dramatic celebration. We usually read the last seven words of Jesus Christ. That is reflecting on the readings of his passion. All right, now, what about Jesus on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God the Father forsake Jesus? Here he is on Good Friday reading Psalm 22. All right, that describes the agony of the suffering servant. That's why Jesus said it. He quoted that psalm because that psalm talked about the agony of the suffering servant. It was written way before Jesus. So he's fulfilling it. So when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that mean the father abandoned the son? No. He allowed him in his humanity to experience the sense of divine abandonment which usually is something that we feel during times of need, but especially when we're in sin. We feel this abandonment. So just as often as we feel that God has abandoned us when we are suffering, even though he never does, all right? So the Son of God, Jesus, in his humanity, experienced that aspect of human suffering as well. God the Father let him experience that. So basically, he's dying for our sins. The penalty for sin is death. And the weight of those sins and that feeling of abandonment must have weighed heavy, heavy on him at this point. And that's why we meditate on the passion, thinking about that. So by quoting this psalm, Jesus shows that suffering is united with humanity. But remember, that psalm has a happy ending. It ends in glory and triumph. And so will Jesus on Easter. So anyway, 
You know, St. Faustina said that uh, Jesus told her that there is no way except the cross. This is Good Friday. There's no way to glory except through the passion, the cross. So we will all share in it. All right. But there's hope. The resurrection's coming. That's the hope of Good Friday. And we'll be with him in glory, just not yet. Good Friday involves some sacrifice, penance, to shear in the cross of Christ. One of the big things is fasting and abstinence. Now, what you might not know is there are only two days left that requires us to fast and abstain in the church. And that is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, and Good Friday. Now, these are days of fast for healthy Latin Catholics. That's us, right? The Western church under the Pope. Now, from age 18 to 59, that is the age that we must fast. Older than 59, you're not required, but you still can. So this, what does it mean to fast? One normal, reasonable meal, not a gourmet, and two small meals, maybe like snacks that don't equal a meal. Now, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are also days of abstinence. I always thought abstinence meant no sexual relations. It means no meat. Well, can mean that too. All right. But that is for 14 and up. No matter how old you are, no matter how old, you could be 80. There's still a requirement for no meat on Fridays of Ash Wednesday, or sorry, all Fridays of Lent. And Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are also fasting but no meat is every Friday during Lent. All right, now, do you know this? You might know, not know this, but do you know actually we're supposed to give up meat every Friday the entire year? People are like, what? Only during Lent, Father. Yes, only during Lent is required, but every other Friday is a still a day of penance. And if you don't give up meat, you have to give up something else, like maybe a TV program, or a dessert, or something else. Every Friday of the whole year is a day of penance. Now, we are required to give up meat, not just on Fridays in Lent, but every single Friday. But again, you can switch out and give up something else besides meat. Not in Lent, though. I'm talking about outside of Lent. In Lent, it must be no meat. All right, so the fast on Good Friday, as I mentioned, may be continued through the Easter vigil. That's when... We really celebrate. So this Paschal fast that goes Friday and Saturday is a big tradition. Why? Because by fasting, we control the passions of the body to free up our souls, our spirits. The flesh is not to control the spirit. The spirit is to control the flesh. So to get the flesh under the control of the spirit, fasting is one way to do that. One of the best ways. All right. So refraining from food can tell, help bring our body under control of the spirit. Now, it's also a way of doing a penance for past sins. You can offer fasting. You know, you ever hear that? You must do atonement for your sin. One of the great ways is to fast. That, that wipes away the punishment for old sins. Remember, food is not bad. We're not giving up something bad. Food is good. We need it. But giving up good things helps us focus on things that are even better, like God. Now, the gospel is all about self-denial, 
There's fasting talked about it, detachments of things that can consume us. There are two, I think, very important ways to look at this, the body and the spirit. We have to quell the body because if we let the passions of the flesh control us, we'll live enslaved to sin. We can't let the flesh control the spirit or the soul. But at the same time, we can also be guilty of things not related to the body, like pride, ego, um, anger, um, you know, things that do not relate to the body. In the body, you have gluttony, lust, um, you know, um, sloth. But we can sin in the spirit by things like, I said, pride, um, ego, um, wanting to get recognized instead of other people. This is the two ways that Lent helps detach. So if our spirit is seeking praise, we can detach from that. This is the goal. This is concupiscence, can be body or the spirit. All right, concupiscence can be in those as well. All right, now, we can even become attached to the world. You know, good things of the world, the beauty of the outdoors, I know for me. But anyway, here's the thing I think is ironic. When you fast, you're hungry. You don't feel satisfied. It's only when you eat you feel satisfied, right? Yes, in a fleshly manner. But true, ironically, listen to this. Fasting abstinence can actually help you become fully satisfied. What are you talking about, Father? Because God alone, not the things of the world, can satisfy the deepest hunger of our souls. So when we empty ourselves out of things of the world, then God can fill us. And that filling is the most satisfying, the soul. That's why we shouldn't worry about just feeding the body, but feed the soul. You know, the Pope says it helps us to recognize the needs of the homeless, the hungry, the suffering. It helps us to join in them and unite with them. You know, because a lot of times we look past their sufferings. You know, many times we don't see their pleading. We just walk on by and we become indifferent. Now what he is saying, Pope Francis, is that fasting can build solidarity. And, you know, fasting is so powerful. But, you know, don't let it, don't become a Pharisee. Um, you know, fasting can become something that we make a spectacle out of. I'll give you an example. If you are fasting, except maybe outside of Fridays and Lent, which we do have to stick to. But let's suppose you voluntarily fast on a Wednesday in July. And that's your thing. And all of a sudden you go over to somebody's house for dinner and they made you a nice big steak. Now, some people, like the Pharisees, would make a big deal and say, oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. And the host just went through all this trouble to make you a steak. Actually, you're required to eat it out of charity. And you know what the church even says? If it was an honest mistake, and this even happened on a Friday in Lent, that if it was an honest mistake and somebody went through all the trouble to prepare you a meal, I'm not saying you go make your steak, but a woman went through or a man went through all this trouble to prepare you a beautiful meal and you say, no, I'm not going to touch that. That's actually against charity. 
And so we actually would want to accept in those cases of honest mistake. But don't lose the purpose of fasting. I know I used to wait up till midnight. You know, I would, it was Friday in Lent and I would be starving and I'd look at the clock. I'd be waiting for the clock and waiting and waiting and waiting. And as soon as it hit midnight, bam, I'd grab a big pizza with pepperoni and ham and, 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 and sausage on it. And so that's kind of, that's kind of defeating the purpose. All right. You know, there's a lot of ways we can fast. You know, we could do intermittent fasting, which is, you know, you fast for like eight hours of the day, uh, or excuse me, you eat only during eight hours of the day, but you fast all the other 16 hours. There's a lot of ways to do it. But the, the message is have the right heart when you're doing it for the glory of God and to put the body under the soul. All right. Now, who killed Jesus? We're still on Good Friday now. We're still on Good Friday. A lot of people say the Jews killed Jesus. Other people say the Romans killed Jesus. All right. The personal sins of the participants, the soldiers, Herod, uh, Pilate, the Sanhedrin, even Judas, we don't know. Those personal sins are known to God alone. So you can't point fingers. All right, we can't say that the responsibility for the trial of Jesus laid on all the Jews as a whole. No, nor can we blame just the Romans as a whole. They wouldn't have done the crucifixion if, if it was just up to them. Pilate felt persuaded. Doesn't mean he's totally guilt-free, but we have to be careful here. Our sins are responsible for his death. I think you know that. Paul said the wage of sin is death. So Catechism 598 says all sinners were the authors of Christ's passion. All sinners were the authors of Christ's passion. Now, it can be seen that this is what's interesting. We are actually more guilty than the Jews for crucifying Christ. You know why? Listen to St. Paul. None of them understood this. He was talking about the Jews, the rulers. He said, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know what they were doing. We, however, profess to know Jesus. All right? And when we deny him by our deeds, we crucify him. Actually, we are more guilty. I remember when I was a kid, I used to be, I can't believe the Jews did that is I would go out on the playground and have a fight with one of my classmates. <laughs> All right? Or do something I shouldn't have been doing. We are guilty. And we know better than the Jews did at the time. You know, I praise God every day that I'm alive now that I have the fullness of the truth because I got to be honest. If I was a faithful Jew and some guy came out of nowhere in a robe and sandals and started preaching something contrary to my Jewish faith, I honestly don't know if I would have followed him. I would have been like Paul in the beginning thinking, exterminate this guy. He's hurting our Jewish faith. So my goodness, I could have been in a real mess if I was born back then. Praise be to God that we are living now, that we have the fullness of the truth. This is powerful. All right, so now, the demons crucified him. No, it is we who have crucified him and still crucify him 
when we delight and choose sin. All right, let's keep going. Now, did God die? Can we say God died on the cross? We're still again talking about Good Friday. Yes, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, say for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death, and was buried in accordance with the scriptures. Now, let's take a look at our next slide. All right, because here, what is this? This is a death. Now the divine nature didn't die, but the person Jesus of Nazareth did die. Look at him there. That's the person Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, he died. The divine nature did not die. God in spirit did not die. But Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, who can say was truly God, died in his humanity. This is why we say God died in that sense. Not meaning God in his divine nature. No, in his human nature. All right, so that's Good Friday. Now we're getting into the good stuff. What's next on our slide? Holy Saturday. In silence, we await. It's anticipation. This is a vigil. That's what a vigil means. That's why you can go to Mass Saturday night, even though Sunday is our Lord's Day, it's in anticipation. That's why it's actually correct to call it the Mass of Anticipation, because we are anticipating. Now, here's what's interesting. The church has always celebrated, all right, Holy Saturday with strict fasting in preparation for Easter, as I talked about before. Now, after sundown, the Christians hold an all-night vigil. Let's look at our next slide. This is the Easter vigil. All right, Easter vigil. Christians hold this. Used to be all night. It's the high point of the Triduum. All right, it concluded with baptism and Holy Communion and even confirmation before the break of dawn. All right, being a vigil, this time of anticipation and preparation, it takes place at night. It started at night after nightfall and finished before daybreak. So it's celebrated always in darkness. Now, though, that doesn't mean we are living in the dark because, let's look at our next slide, it consists of four parts. And the very first part is the service of light. This is the Easter fire, the blessing of the candle. We light the Easter candle in that fire. And that light is the light of Christ, the light of the world. And the liturgy of the word comes next. We read from the Bible. Then we have Christian initiation. We welcome the new people into the church. And then we have the liturgy of the Eucharist. Very powerful. So, why the light? Because in, in, in the times of the Bible, this is the light that was to the world. All right, in biblical themes, we are light removing darkness and life overcoming death. So the light comes into the dark. Life of the resurrection overcomes the death of the crucifixion. Our days of darkness in this world will be enlightened with eternal life and our death to sin will be overcome by the life of eternity. Amazing. So the greatest of all the hymns is sung at this time, the exultant. 
It is sung by a deacon or the priest or cantor, and it's an ancient hymn to praise God for the light of the Paschal candle. So we're thanking God for this candle, which we'll show tonight in our Easter vigil. So now, the liturgy of the word comes next um, with seven readings from the Old Testament and two readings from the New Testament. Now, these readings are an overview of all of salvation history. So this is important in how God works in man. All right, so it begins with creation. You'll hear tonight at the Easter Vigil, the readings from creation, and they will end with an angel telling Mary Magdalene that Jesus is no longer dead. That's all the salvation history. From creation to telling Mary Magdalene, the angel, that Jesus is no longer dead. That is everything that we celebrate tonight. So then it prepares us for baptism and then communion. All right, so the Easter Vigil is a time when adult converts come back to the faith if they've left, or I should say, come to the faith. All right, they enter the church. This is the season of baptism, or what we call Christian initiation. That's why baptism is a sacrament of initiation. Now, those who lived in darkness and death were buried. That's why we dive them under the water or pour the water on their head. And now they are baptized, emerged from that with light and life. It's the candle of light and the life of the resurrection. Powerful stuff. All right. So after the reading of the Bible tonight, the catechumens at your parish will come forward. Now... There's catechumens and there's candidates. What's the difference? All right. If somebody entering the church tonight is a catechumen, that means those who have never been baptized. So if they're going to be baptized tonight and they've never been baptized, they're called a catechumen. Now there's candidates who enter in the church as well, but they've been baptized maybe in another religion. We do accept, Catholic Church does accept baptism from other faiths, Christian, as long as it was done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if you were baptized Lutheran or let's say Anglican, that suffices. And then when you come into the church, you're a candidate. You don't need to be rebaptized. Now, if you've never been baptized, you're a catechumen, meaning you have to be baptized. All right. This is important. Now, all right, so these candidates here, they're initiating the church, and then if needed, they have confirmation. Then the priest sprinkles the rest of the people present as a sign with holy water of the renewal of baptismal vows. And then the Easter vigil concludes with receiving the Eucharist. Can't beat that. So all of this is happening in the liturgy. Why? It symbolizes what was happening to Jesus on Holy Saturday. After he was buried, the Apostle Creed said he descended into hell. Everybody always thinks that means he got the souls out of hell. This is not the hell of the damned. All right, we'll talk about this. During the time his soul separated from his body, all right, this is Jesus now, and joined the holy souls awaiting a savior. Now, scripture calls this place the place of this dead hell. Now, that is the word Sheol in Hebrew or Hades in Greek. You probably heard this term. 
Those who are deprived of the vision of God because they died before Jesus opened the door to heaven, which Adam and Eve closed. So Adam and Eve closed the door to heaven and Jesus now comes to open it. All those people who died between Adam and Eve and Jesus were waiting. They weren't in the hell of the damned. They were in Shoal or Hades awaiting heaven to be opened, including Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve are two of the ones released to enter into heaven. Can you imagine Adam? He's probably down there as everybody's waiting. Gee, guys, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> you know, Eve is probably like, oh, man, our bad, you know. But once they got to heaven, that's all forgotten. So let's look at our next slide. This is Jesus freeing those souls. See what he's doing? He's resurrected. He's got the flag and his souls are waiting to be freed. He went to free the just that had gone before him. So our Lord offered the perfect sacrifice for all sin by dying on the cross. And then that opened the door to heaven, whether you were past, present, or future. All right. Such was why we call this the place of the dead or the righteous. But the word used is hell, not the hell of the damned. He did not go to Gehenna. Jesus did not go to Gehenna. That's the place of the damned. Once a soul is in hell, it cannot get out. Cannot get out. So Jesus spoke that this is a real place too. The fires of Gehenna are serious sins. In Matthew, he says anger or hatred or adultery or impurity. The, the fire for those sins is eternal. So if you're guilty of that, get to confession. Clean it up. All right, now, we're going to get into some interesting stuff here. Why do we celebrate the Easter vigil, which we're talking about right now? We already talked about Holy Thursday and Good Friday. <clears throat> now I'm talking about <clears throat> the vigil, Easter vigil. Why do we celebrate it on Saturday night? Jesus resurrected on Sunday. I always wondered that as a kid. Nobody was ever able to explain it to me. In fact... Even into my 20s, I still didn't understand. It wasn't until I got to seminary. And thank God all of you are here with me. We're going back to seminary. This is one of the important classes. I learned why we can celebrate it on Saturday night. After dark. That's the key. Why? All right. Just why then do we celebrate Easter when Christ hasn't resurrected yet? All right. Just as the Jews started Saturday's Sabbath... Because you know Saturday for the Jews was the Sabbath. But when did they start it? Friday night. After sundown. That began the Sabbath. It's the same thing with us Christians. Easter is on Sunday. But it begins in the tradition on Saturday night. That's why you can go to Mass for a Sunday obligation on Saturday night. So the church does this. That's why a vigil starts the day of worship the night before. That's what we call a vigil. So this is why going to Mass on Saturday fulfills the Sunday obligation. But why is this? All right, let's talk about Easter. Let's look at our next slide. This is the resurrected Jesus. Praise be to God. All right? Now, the day Jesus redeemed all of mankind. Okay, that was one of my questions on my seminary exam. Explain the difference between redemption and salvation. All right. Did Jesus redeem all mankind? 
No, Father, not the souls in hell. Yes, he did. All of mankind is redeemed. Jesus, with his blood, redeemed every soul, every human that ever has lived, is living now, or will live. That's why I believe when he felt the pain of the nail going in his wrist, which, by the way, people say, was it in the, in the palm or was it in the wrist? Because in some images you see the wound in his wrist and some in his palm. Brother Mark found a very interesting scientific thing. And it talked about what they believe happened. All right. Is that Jesus was nailed, okay, in the palm, but it went through and actually exited out the wrist to be able to hold him on the cross. All right. So this is why you see if he was nailed in the palm, but it angled up through the wrist, both are correct. Jesus was nailed maybe in the palm, but it went through and exited out the wrist to hold him on the cross. So if you look at the front, you'll see it on the palm, but if you look at the back, you'll see it on the wrist. And so this is why the image of divine mercy has it in the palm, and people are saying it's supposed to be in the wrist, but the shroud has it on the wrist, because in the shroud, we see this side of his hand, and that's where we see the wound, but on the, um, on the other uh, apparitions, we see him nailed through the uh, palm. It's because the nail, they believe, went through the palm and exited out the back of the wrist. That held him on the cross. Now, I believe when he felt that pain, he felt that pain for every human being who ever lived. You know, they say that 110 billion people have lived since the beginning of time. If the world ended tonight... I believe that Jesus didn't feel the pain of that crucifixion, of that nail, just for himself. Like if they nailed me to a cross, I'd only feel my pain. If they put Brother Mark and Brother Ken and me as the three crosses, and they nailed me, as much as that hurt, I wouldn't feel Brother Ken's pain, and I wouldn't feel Brother Mark's pain. But I believe this is not church teaching. Please don't write the bishop on me. This is just my own personal belief. Please let me underscore that. This is my own personal belief. It's not in a church document. It's not in scripture. My own personal belief is that when Jesus was nailed, he felt that nail 110 billion times greater than I would feel it because I only feel it for my own pain. He would feel it for every human being who's ever lived. So if the world ends and 200 billion people have lived by the time the world ends, I believe he felt that for 200 billion times greater. Can you even fathom how much pain he must have been through if that's true? Incredible. Again, this is not church dogmatic teaching or revelation. It's just my own personal belief. But it's important. Now, Here's the thing. When we look at the power of this, all right, here's what we have to understand. Jesus redeemed all mankind, but will all mankind be saved? No, because some choose not to be united with him. All right, some choose that. He defeated death, the last and great tool of Satan, by dying on Good Friday and resurrecting now on Easter. He defeated Satan's last great tool. This is why the images of divine mercy are so powerful. 
The pale ray, the waters, wash away his first tool of sin, and Satan's other great tool of death is wiped away by the red ray. What is death? Death is the end of everything. But what overcomes death? Life. And what was life to the Jews? Blood. That's why we see the blood on the image of divine mercy and we have the precious blood in the mass to give us life. All right, now, Easter originated as the first Sunday following Passover when Jesus was crucified. It is not based on a pagan holiday. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I just, I get so tired of people telling me that it was based on a pagan holiday like Christmas. I have videos out there that explain all that. No, it's not. It's based on a Jewish one called Passover. All right. Now, in most languages, the word Easter is derived from the Jewish word Pesach, which means Passover. In Greek and Latin, it's Pascha. P-A-S-C-H-A, which is where we get the Paschal mystery, the passion, death, and resurrection. So Easter is when Jesus resurrected, resurrected. Now, when was Easter? Okay, we talk about this. Easter, we know, was on Sunday. But when does Sunday start for the Jews? Saturday night. This is why we can celebrate the vigil on Saturday night because it's still Easter or it's the beginning of Easter. All right, to the Jews, the day began at sunset the night before. That's why the Saturday Sabbath began Friday evening at sundown. Now, this is why we read the phrase in the Bible, evening and morning, rather than what we say day and night. When we today in our world talk about a day, we say day and night. I've been slaving day and night, night and day. To the Jews in the Bible, it says evening and morning. Because the evening of Saturday is the first part of the day, and the morning of Sunday is the next part of the day. Same day. As the bells tell me. All right, now, in the Bible, Scripture, it indicates that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. All right, so that means he rose on that. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. But that means the day that began on sunset of the night before on Saturday and lasted until sunset on Sunday. So he could have risen at any point during that time. Few people realize this. But if you don't, why then do we have the Easter vigil on Saturday night? If he only could have risen after dawn on Sunday, then we would have no reason to celebrate a Saturday night vigil. No Catholics or few Catholics understand this. This is why I love you guys joining in with me that we understand our faith. We only can know God better if we can love him or we can only love him better if we can know him better. And we have to know our faith. All right, let's look at our next slide. All right, he is risen. This is the empty tomb. And since we are told the tomb was found empty, quote, in the Bible, this is Matthew 28, 1, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. This is when the Bible, Matthew 28, verse 1, tells us that the tomb was found empty. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn, okay, so when did the Sabbath end? Saturday night. So the tomb was found empty after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week. 
He must have risen then between sunset Saturday and dawn on Sunday. Because it says here, toward dawn. Well, wait a minute, Father, you said Sunday went to Sunday evening. No, the scripture says after the Sabbath, which means Saturday evening, toward the dawn of the first day, which is Sunday. So Jesus must have risen between sunset on Saturday and dawn on Sunday. Whether or not it, whether or not it was before or after midnight, scripture doesn't tell us. It just says that it was after dawn on Saturday. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. After dusk on Saturday and dawn on Sunday. I hope I haven't been saying dawn when I really meant dusk. Oh my, if I did, please forgive me. After dusk on Saturday. Oh my gosh, I think I've been saying dawn meaning dusk the whole time. Oh boy, I hope I didn't mess that up. So this is the thing. Whether or not he rose Saturday night or early Sunday morning before dawn doesn't matter. He was still crucified on Friday. And in the Bible, we have an answer why this is so. In the Bible, parts of time units were counted as holes. What do I mean by that? All right. A day or a night to the Jews, a full day did not mean 24 hours. But any portion of a day was counted as a day. Any part of a night was counted as a night. So what do I mean by this? All right, in the Bible, it says three days and three nights. He was in the tomb. It could really mean part, part of three days. And that means the nights just come with it. That was a Jewish expression. Whenever you said three days, you also said three nights, even if it was only two nights. So the part of three days that Jesus was dead was Friday, Saturday, and possibly Sunday, which could have been Saturday night. Now, the biblical scholar R.T. France says, quote, three days and three nights was a Jewish idiom for a period covering maybe only two nights, but parts of three days. So he was in the tomb, try to stay with me now, for only a few hours on Friday, not 24 hours, just a few hours on Friday. That's how we talk, think about it today. But the Jews would count that as a whole day. That's day one, even if it was only for a few hours on Friday night. He was on there the whole time on Saturday morning, right? And into Saturday afternoon. And less than six hours on Sunday that we know of, because that was before dawn. Sometime in that period, he rose. This was way less than the 72 hours of three full days and nights. Is there a contradiction? No. The Jews counted as a whole, a whole day, any part of a day. So three days and three nights could actually mean as little as 24 hours with a few minutes before that day and a few minutes after that day. So to us, if I had 10 minutes of work before an entire day and it went to 10 minutes of work the next day, the Jews would count that as three days. Even though to us, it would just be one full day and a few minutes extra. You see the difference there? All right, in our way of counting things, I'll give you an example. From lunch today to lunch tomorrow is one day. 
from lunch today, Saturday, to lunch tomorrow, Sunday, is one day to me and to you. How many was it to the Jews? Two days. Because it counted part of Saturday and part of Sunday. So the ancient Jews would count it as two days because it included parts of two distinct days. All right, now why am I saying all this? Here it comes. If, you, if none of that made any sense, this, I think, will clarify it. So if Jesus was crucified and died on Friday afternoon, that would be the first day. Friday afternoon up until sundown. Now, at sundown on Friday would begin the second day. Because the day started the dusk of the night before. Then, at sundown on Saturday would be the third day. And Jesus resurrected sometime after sundown on Saturday. That is the third day. So Jesus was raised on the third day, Matthew 20, verse 19. Scripture repeatedly tells us that Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, which to the Jews meant Friday. Why? The day of preparation for the Sabbath on Saturday they did the night before, Friday. This is why the women were not able to anoint the body before it was buried. Why? I don't understand that, Father. Because Jesus was quickly buried late on Friday afternoon before sundown because that would begin the Sabbath. And once the Sabbath began, they could not anoint the body. So they hurried to get Jesus down from the cross and all the bodies down. This is why they broke their legs. The reason they broke the legs is because if somebody was on the cross and they were crucified, you actually died first from asphyxiation, not from the wounds in the hands and the feet. You actually died because you were being filled with with blood and phlegm and you couldn't breathe. So the person on the cross would try, and I can't do this on my knee, I use my good knee, I got my right knee leg up, would push up to be able to take a breath. <clears throat> but if you had a broken leg, you couldn't even do that. And when your leg was broke, you couldn't push up and you would die quicker. So they wanted these men before the Sabbath began at sundown. Now, Jesus is on the cross, right? Three o'clock in the afternoon, but they wanted him off the cross before the Sabbath. So they came to break the legs and broke the legs of all those. But when they got to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. Part of the reason is because the lamb in prophecy must be unblemished, and to have a broken bone would mean he was not unblemished. So Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Now, let's take a look at our next slide. Here we see Jesus at the tomb. And this is why the women had to wait until after the Sabbath was over. Because he had to be taken down and ushered quickly into the tomb. 
Now the women await, and what do they receive for their waiting? The glory of God. All right, this is powerful stuff. <clears throat> now, this lamb, this unblemished lamb, is what we celebrate in Mass, the wedding feast of the lamb. Powerful, powerful stuff. Now, Easter, once they broke his leg uh, of the other criminals, not Jesus, they didn't have to break his leg because he was already dead, <clears throat> but they speared him. And when they speared him, the blood and the water flowed out. Now, well, that is the image of divine mercy. And I'll talk about that here towards the end. I just got a few minutes left. But that's what I want to talk about towards the end. But I'm going to finish with how is Easter determined? We get a lot of questions. Father, how is Palm Sunday determined? Ash Wednesday. How is Easter Sunday determined? It changes every year. All right? It's based on the date of Passover, which is complicated. All right, now here's the thing. I'm not going to get into tons of detail. But early Christians decided that Easter would be celebrated on the first Sunday after, not on, the Paschal full moon. All right? Now, we use the Gregorian calendar, not the Julian calendar, not the solar, the, you know, all that. We use the Gregorian calendar. There's a lunar and the sonar, the Julian and the Gregorian. We use a Gregorian. And this is based on the lunar, because the full moon is on or after March 21st, with ties to the start of spring. Now, this is important. Easter always then falls between March 22nd and April 25th, because it has to be the Sunday after March 21st, which ties to the spring equinox. I know that's confusing. But trust me, there's a reason. It's based on the Jewish tradition that our roots come from. Now, what about Palm Sunday? That is always the sixth Sunday of Lent. So it's the Sunday right before Easter. So we determine Easter first, then the Sunday right before is always Palm Sunday. Now to find Ash Wednesday, you start with Easter Sunday as we just did, and you back up six weeks. That gives you the first Sunday of Lent. And then four more days for Ash Wednesday. So Ash Wednesday is obviously the Wednesday before the first Sunday of Lent. All right. I got a lot more to do, but they got to get the cleaning crew in here to clean for our vigil feast tonight. But I will finish by saying to get the most out of Holy Week may seem daunting. It may seem... Um, you know, a challenge, but take heart. All right. Even our smallest efforts made in love will draw us closer to God and to this Paschal mystery, which culminates in the resurrection, passion, death, and resurrection. Now, these three days that I've been talking about all day today, Holy Thursday Mass, Good Friday with no Mass, and Holy Saturday leading to the vigil of Easter Sunday is what our faith is all about. This Sunday is Easter Sunday, and it'll be celebrated in another great way. 
over eight days. Now, here's the interesting thing. St. Augustine says those eight days of Easter, starting on Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, day one, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Divine Mercy Sunday, the eighth day. St. Augustine said that eighth day is the greatest of all days. Father, how can you say that? Easter Sunday is the greatest of all days. They're connected. So our final slide on this presentation, I do have a little announcement afterwards, is the image of divine mercy. This sets the stage, Easter being, sets the stage for something incredible called Divine Mercy Sunday, and it's all connected. I said earlier that when Jesus, they didn't break his bones, they speared him. And when they speared him in the side, it went all the way through his chest cavity, punctured the heart, and the blood and the water that came out of Jesus' side actually came from the sacred heart of Jesus. We know that on the shroud is actually blood and water that came from the heart on the shroud. And on the, the cross, it says blood and water flowed out of his side. They speared him, and that spear went all the way through his chest cavity, punctured the heart. That is why in the image, we see the blood and the water coming from the heart. It flowed out the side, but it came from the heart. This is why next week, stay with us, because we have an incredible incredible feast coming not only tomorrow and Easter Sunday, but culminating in Divine Mercy Sunday. The high point of everything. And it's connected with Easter. They're the same eight-day octave. So don't say that I didn't say Easter is important. It's connected. And so God bless all of you. And we want to make sure that you join us next Saturday at 11 as we talk about Divine Mercy Sunday. Now, we do have a couple things here that I wanted to show you. Let's put up our next slide. All of this I explain in a brand new book. God bless you. I hope you can get it. Shopmercy.org or call us at 800-462-7426. This is a copy of my new book and it explains everything you need to know to get the graces of Divine Mercy. And you know what else? Those graces are so powerful. And if you can't afford the book, send me an email, let me know, and I'll send you one for free. If you can't afford it, God bless you. That helps support our ministry. But if you can't, let me know, okay? And I'll send you one. What's important is that I get it in your hands. This is why being a Marian helper is so important. We pray for you. The graces of divine mercy will be shared with you as a Marian helper. You get to share in all the graces of our prayers, rosaries, masses, penances, like you were a Marian priest. So the next slide is just a way to invite you, no charge, at micprayers.org. You can join our association. Be a Marian helper. God bless you. These are such great graces you don't want to waste. And um, finally, I know this is timed, but and you might be watching the video after this date, but there's two great pilgrimages that I'm going on that I would love to invite you with. You being our Marian family would love to meet you, spend time with you, have dinner with you. And uh, yes, you can come on in now. We have a cleaning crew coming in. So, um, but anyway, this is a beautiful grace. Stephen Ray does some of the best pilgrimages in the business. On October 14th through the 24th of 2021, the footsteps of St. Paul will be going to the, uh, the um, Mediterranean, following in the footsteps of Paul. I'll be the chaplain, would love to meet you. 
His pilgrimages are the best, bar none, all-inclusive, everything's paid for. If you can't, let's look at our next slide. Um, if you want to go on a cheaper route, but a fun trip, we're going to France on June 20th to July 2nd of 2022. Notice the years here. And these are the shrines of France. And um, we are very grateful that you would be able to join us. As God said, share in his joy, and we want to share that with you as well. So God bless all of you. Thank you for coming, being with us. We hope you can join us on these pilgrimages, but most importantly, join us for Divine Mercy. I will also, on April the 5th through April the 9th of 2021, be doing a series on EWTN called Understanding Divine Mercy. This is a series that'll teach you all about it. It'll air at 5.30 Eastern Time on in 2021, this year, coming up April 5th through April the 9th. So may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and thank you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking, and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you. And God bless you.